The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans we're discussing before listening to the podcast. New episodes air Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on FX. Join us every week after the show. Philip and Elizabeth have been, for such a long time now, struggling so mightily with their kids and their family. And I think the idea of creating a whole new family for them with another kid who would just be totally different because really he's like them. And what stories can we tell there and how will that change everything was just enormously appealing for us. Welcome to the Americans podcast for season five. Today, we'll be discussing episode one, Amber Waves of Grain. I'm June Thomas, managing producer of Slate Podcasts, and I'm your host for this series, which goes behind the scenes of the show. Today, I'm in glorious Gowanus, Brooklyn, with Joe Weisberg, the creator of the show. Hi, Joe. June, hello. Hello. And his co-showrunner and co-executive producer, Joel Fields. Hey, Hi, June. Joel. Hey, how you doing? I'm very well, thank you. So... About this whole Russians undermining the American system and sneakily taking over the government thing, like right to the very high levels, you thought you were doing a period show. But it turns <laughs> out that there's this weird contemporary level to all this, right? We have no idea what you're talking about. You know, you're sitting in the vault. And if you look over there, there's the calendar. It says 1983, 1984. No, we don't read the papers. Or yeah, we're, we we're, try to really stay in the 80s. Yeah, we really make this show. People keep making jokes like that to yeah. us, but we don't yeah. know what, we don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, Philip and Elizabeth and Stan Beeman, they all live in the early 80s. And yeah. that's where they stay. And okay. that's where we stay with them. This is something you won't be drawn on. You know, as far as the show goes, yeah. it's really where we live. And yeah. in terms of people taking its themes and applying them to the world today, we think that's great, but that's for everyone else to do. Was this season different because you knew exactly how many episodes you had left to tell this story? Were you clear where you were going from the very start when you, when you started to plan out? Yeah, yeah. We, we, had a, we had a pretty good sense. And even starting this season, we not only had a good sense of this season, but of the final season. Uh-huh. So that's been, it's been a nice way to work. The teaser to the first episode of a new season does feel extra significant. And in this one, you introduced us to some entirely new identities for Philip and Elizabeth, the Eckerts, and they have a brand new teenage son. <laughs> yeah. They don't have enough problems. <laughs> How many teenage sons do you need? Exactly. Well, Antoine is young and devoted. His arrogance and his harshness almost make Philip and Elizabeth seem like lightweights. The Eckerts are a new cover family for the season. They're going to be a very important part of the season. And Philip and Elizabeth's relationship with Tuan and their collective relationship with the Morozov family is going to be very important. So lots of new family dynamics this year. Philip and Elizabeth have been, for such a long time now, uh, struggling so mightily with their kids and in their Mm -hmm. family, particularly with Paige, obviously. But even though we don't, you know, show it as much, I don't think things are exactly easy with Henry. And I think the idea of creating a whole new family for them with another kid who would just be totally different because really he's like them. Mm -hmm. And what is that experience? And what stories can we tell there? And how will that just sort of change everything was just enormously 
appealing for us. Everything that's successful in this show is about relationships. So that operation is, is good and original and interesting story mm-hmm. to tell. Mm-hmm. But you can see why when we decided to put a kid in there, it blossomed into a story that was going to really work for yeah. us. Yeah. At the beginning of every season, you know there'll be new characters. You want to meet them. But there's something about Twan. You're like, you want to figure out that guy. Yeah. There are certain artists who work on the show who are just invisible to the audience because they should be. And one of them is our casting director, Rory Bergman. The things we throw at her season to season and the things she brings back to us are incredible. I mean, Ivan Mock, who plays Tuan, is just such a brilliant young actor. And the needs were so specific. We said to her, this has to be Vietnamese kid, and he has to be in this exact age range. And he has to be able to play this season's worth of story. We basically said it has to be Ivan Mock. (laughs) Go find (laughs) Ivan Mock (laughs) somewhere, and you have two weeks. (laughs) But then you think about the Morozov family and those parents and that kid and just the, the depth of casting she's done throughout the seasons for us. It's extraordinary. We viewers are seeing a little more of non-KGB Russia in this episode. We're seeing stores with empty shelves. They're not terribly sophisticated harvesting techniques that they seem to be using in Russia. We viewers in 2017 know that the end is in sight for the Soviet Union, but it seems like something's changing for the Russian characters, including the ones that are passing as Americans, figuring out what's going on a little tiny bit about the history. It's a great a great opportunity for us to go into the Soviet Union and tell stories and personal stories, you know, work stories and family stories mm-hmm. for Oleg. If you had asked us even a year ago if we would ever do that, I think we would have said no. I don't think we ever saw ourselves having this opportunity. So when yeah. the story sort of went there, we jumped at it. This is a way to tell a whole new story with yeah. a whole new perspective. And it was very exciting. But as to the second part, I don't think that the characters have the the slightest glimmer what's right around the corner mm. for them. I think that they are uh, have seen for a long time or you know, or in the case of Oleg, is is maybe having his eyes open to certain systemic problems that he didn't know was there or didn't mm-hmm. know were as severe. But that's more or less comparable to any American as they get older and grow up mm-hmm. and sort of having their eyes open to problems we have here that their life journey had not taken them to yeah. see the see it yet. Yeah. Although we write the show in our bubble of the early '80s, it is interesting to know that the audience brings that perspective to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's. There's not, it's not just a matter of irony. It's also a matter of perspective, and perspective mm-hmm. is interesting dramatically. But it's also just been a great chance for us to tell different stories for these Soviet Russian characters mm-hmm. and to see their world in a different way. This year on the Americans podcast, we'll be taking you behind the scenes to hear how crew members achieve some of the effects on the show. This week, we'll be going deep on the whole the glorious 12-minute sequence in which Philip, Elizabeth, Hans and several collaborators dig to find William's grave, open up his coffin and retrieve a sample of the virus that killed him. We'll be hearing from several people from the crew involved in creating that illusion. First, let's hear what Joe and Joel, who wrote the episode, were looking for and why they were nervous about the scene. I mean, the reason that we were sensitive and nervous about it was because, as you can imagine, there were many discussions about, is it too long? Is it too long? Does it need to be shorter? And those discussions, you know, took place on many levels and went on for some time before we decided we had hit it at just right with extremely long. Talk us through the digging. Well, 
first of all, it's you know I'm not old, but I've been doing this a long time, and I'll tell you, we sat in this very room uh, at that vault. very screen. We're in the vault at that screen, and we wrote that sequence. And we felt pretty good about it. And I'll tell you one thing that did not occur to me is that it would be incredibly expensive and incredibly difficult to realize that. After all, it's a hole. It's negative space. <laughs> we like looked at each other. What? We were like, we did production a favor on this one. Yeah, look at that. I mean, okay, maybe they'll have to be out at night. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so what? Well, it turns out, of course, if you think about it, a hole in the ground is a very dangerous thing. The dirt is unstable. You saw what happened to Hans. Mm, to Hans <laughs> so... And we need, not only do we like Carrie and Matthew, but we really need them for the next season. (laughs) So we couldn't have it collapse on them. So for safety reasons, they had to build this incredibly complicated, over $100,000 fiberglass fitting that went into the actual hole in the ground. And then they recreated that on the stage so that they could shoot Uh all the inside portions with different pieces of it flying off. And Chris Long just shot such a brilliant sequence. And when you see it, edited together. Uh, Dan Valverde edited that sequence and you really can't tell when you're on the stage and when you're actually on location. And we're pleased to say no one died. (laughs) Peter Mark Kendall, who plays Hans, is okay. Okay. He was not injured in the filming. Afterwards, the final, final piece, we used digital effects to add falling dirt into it to kind of really make it feel like the walls were about to cave in at any moment. This also feels to me like one of those trademark Americans, like totally accurate scenes. I'm guessing you did exhaustive research on the digging of deep holes. We did. We learned about how you have to do it in shifts and we tried to get some sense of how long a shift would be before you wore out. I want to keep going. Like there's a lot more to learn about digging holes. (laughs) (laughs) That was about it. But (laughs) I thought the most interesting thing was about the shifts. That basically you'd need a lot of strong people to do this and that they wouldn't take long shifts, that what they do it is trade off sprints so that they would each dig for 10, 15 minutes each, then take a break for Uh half an hour while the other two teams did their 10, 15 minute sprints and then go back to working all night. By the way, we don't, you know, if you look over the history of the five seasons, although it's not unheard of, we don't usually bring in sort of Russians you've right. never seen before to do stuff. Right. But in this case, it was just for realism's sake. There's no way they're getting deep enough into that hole without some extra team members. Well, what uh-huh. I remember, too, is when we had our tone meeting, which is the meeting where we sit down and we talked with the director about the script and all the different scenes. And I remember Chris Long saying, well, there is an entire act digging a hole. I'm just going to say there is some possibility, some potential it could be boring. <laughs> he did, said it in his British accent it was extremely respectfully accent. and so we all started to pitch on you know what what could you do to make it not boring and we all had different ideas but even at the end of that meeting I think we all understood that we hadn't come up with an answer to that question that it was really just up to Chris it was really just in his hands he yeah, was yeah. he it was up to him to find a way to bring it to life and and shoot it in a way that it was not boring and you see what he did. What My, he captured was it's grueling. Yeah. And and that was what was, I think, brilliant about how he shot and edited and realized that sequence is, had it been done any other way, you could convey that time passed and they dug a hole, but he found a way to convey yeah. that it was a grueling, yeah. many hour long tribulation to get down to that body. I also talked with director of photography Dan Stoloff about the challenges he faced in realizing the vision set out by Joe and Joel and by the episode's director, Chris Long. I've heard a lot from a lot of different people about the challenges of 
the hole. Oh, the hole was great. Tell us about your entanglement with the hole. Well, the hole was a really, it was an interesting engineering challenge, as well as lighting and, and photographing challenge. The art department created this hole, the sides of the hole, because you can't dig a real hole. It's not safe. Yeah. It could cl- collapse and cave in. You have actors in there. You need cameras. Mm-hmm. There's not enough space yeah. in a hole like that to get cameras. So the art department crafted the inside of a hole, which we then took to location, dug a much bigger hole, put our hole inside their hole so that we knew that it was safe. And it had all the roots coming through. It looked completely natural. And then we, so we shot that on location. We used a crane arm for most of it and a lot of handheld stuff. And what we tried to do the night we were shooting in location was, as much as possible, we wanted to connect the landscape to the hole. So there were a lot of crane shots that would always go from them down into the hole. So we're selling the idea that this hole really exists, that this yeah. hole is real. And all the shots that we could do from above, we did. And we would try to tie in the external landscape to all of those shots. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of specific things that happen within the hole. The hole that the art department built after we finished with it on location, they lifted it out with a crane, they trucked it back to stage, we set it up on stage, and then we recreated the lighting that we had on a smaller scale, of course, but we recreated the lighting that we had set up on location into this hole which one side now came out so it was a three-sided hole basically like a horseshoe and that enabled us to put the camera in a position and then we would just move everything inside the hole in order to get the right angle of what we wanted so Mm -hmm. the casket's facing you in one angle Mm -hmm. then you just move the casket the other way put the light on the other side and still shoot in the same direction and nobody knows because all three sides of the hole look the same yeah that's called uh, french reverse that's how we did it. So we spent one full night out on location with the hole, and then we spent another, most of a full day on stage. So it was about a two-day process. Well, Chris Long, the director, and Joel and Joe wanted it not to feel like a montage that you've seen a thousand times where mm-hmm. there's a pile of dirt, and you yeah. see the pile of dirt grow, and that's telling you that the hole is like... They wanted us to feel like we were in there with them and make it interesting. So we tried to connect all of these moments together. And even though it is, for all intents and purposes, it is a montage because it collapses, say, six hours of digging into, I think the final running time is about 12 minutes or so. So there, that, which is long for yeah, a yeah, sequence yeah, yeah, with yeah, no yeah, dialogue and, and unheard of in television. And just a few snacks, yeah. Next, we'll hear from production designer Dan Davis speaking first and art director Tim Goodmanson about how they went about creating the whole or should I say, holes. We had to build the hole on location, and we had to build it the same hole on the stage. So we had to build the hole twice. Also, uh, the hole had to be safe for actors yeah. to go in. Uh, so we had to sink a, a whole big shipping container. shipping container in the ground on the location and build our hole within that. And we had to show three different stages of the hole. The beginning, when it's only like a foot deep. Right. Or completely uncovered. Yeah, completely uncovered. And then we had to show it half dug, and then we had to show it completely dug. Yeah, it was a whole series. Of, you know, so first it was the nine-foot-deep hole with the casket in the bottom, and then there were a series of platforms with chains in three-foot increments stacked on top of that oh, with wow. dirt in between each layer. And then after we would shoot the first scene of them arriving on the location, the 
the crew would find where the chains were, hook them on to a big lift that was on location, and then that would forklift it with this huge uh, piece of equipment up out of the ground and carry it and move it to the side. Then they would shoot that next layer. Then we'd find the chains and hoist that up out of the ground and move that out of the way. So it all went quite quickly, given what had to happen all in the middle of the night. But it wasn't just the digging of the hole that presented difficulties. As property master Dan Fisher explained, they also had to find the right kind of coffin to bury William in. Now I'm here in the show's production offices with Daniel Fisher, the property master of the Americans. I'm very curious, where the coffin that William was buried in came from? Well, that particular coffin is a military-style coffin. And, you know, William was buried on a military facility. The first step was to find out who made that and where we could get it. And the answer was not in the United States. Uh, The company is in Canada, in Toronto. And we bought two of them, in fact. We had one to be just a regular full-size coffin and then a second one that we could cut out and do some things with. The hardest part of obtaining anything from Canada is not handing over the money and having them ship the item. It was getting it through customs. And we got the coffin stuck in customs where every time I thought I'd filled out the proper paperwork, new paperwork came into me. We were to shoot that scene on a Friday. And I had ordered this over two weeks in advance. We got the coffin, I believe, on the Wednesday of the week we were shooting. And every day I'm on the phone with various Canadian officials just to beg to get the coffin. And it was it was on the border. All it had to do was cross over from Toronto into Detroit, and then everything was, was fine from there. But a lot of begging and pleading went into that prop. Thanks to everyone who spoke with me about Episode 501, Amber Waves of Grain. Come back next week when we'll be going behind the scenes of Episode 502. I'm June Thomas. Thanks to Ethan Simon for recording assistance and to the American Sarah Nolan for lending her astonishing organizational skills. This show is part of the Panoply Network.